Saturday, February the 26th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, fighting continues in Ukraine, and hope of a diplomatic solution lingers. First, the week in brief. Shelling and heavy fighting were reported at various sites throughout Kyiv, Ukraine's capital. Russian troops attempted to capture an army base in the centre of the city, but were repelled, according to the Ukrainian armed forces. Meanwhile, Ukraine's air force reported that Russian paratroopers were attacking a base to the southwest of the city. Neither claim could be independently verified. In his earlier message, filmed on the streets of the capital and posted on social media, Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, had warned the impending assault would come overnight, saying, quote, The fate of Ukraine is being decided right now. Mr. Zelensky's spokesman announced that Ukraine and Russia were discussing the possibility of diplomatic negotiations, saying, quote, Ukraine was and remains ready to talk about a ceasefire and peace. America advised against taking Russian diplomatic overtures seriously. Hours earlier, Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, called the Ukrainian government a, quote, gang of drug addicts and neo-Nazis, and told Ukrainian soldiers to take power. America, Britain and the EU imposed sanctions on Mr Putin and Sergei Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister. The move is largely symbolic. Neither is thought to have significant assets in those jurisdictions. The EU declined to ban them from the bloc to maintain the possibility of travelling for diplomatic negotiations. Britain renewed its call to cut off Russia from SWIFT, the global messaging network used by banks. Few European countries are enthusiastic. The Council of Europe suspended Russia's right to representation within the body. Jen Stoltenberg, NATO's Secretary-General, said the alliance would continue to send weapons and air defence systems to Ukraine. NATO will also deploy elements of its response force on Allied territory to, quote, prevent any misunderstandings that we are not ready to protect and defend all our allies, said Mr Stoltenberg. Meanwhile, 11 members of the UN Security Council backed a resolution condemning the invasion. China, India and the United Arab Emirates abstained. Russia vetoed it. Stock markets in America, Asia and Europe rallied on Friday. The S&P 500 rose by 2.2% and the Dow Jones Industrial Average by 2.5% in its best trading session of the year. Analysts pointed to market relief over milder than expected sanctions to explain the rapid rebound. Natural gas prices fell as Russian gas spared from sanctions poured into Europe. Oil prices dropped below $100 a barrel. Wheat prices fell too. The UN estimated that 100,000 Ukrainians have fled their homes. Up to 5 million are expected to leave the country if the situation worsens. The highway from Kyiv to Lviv, a western city bordering Poland, was clogged. Kyiv residents were advised to shelter in underground metro stations and subjected to a nighttime curfew. 
UNICEF for charity said it would boost capacity to help in Hungary, Moldova, Poland, Romania and Slovakia. A number of landmarks around the world, including the Empire State Building in New York, the Eiffel Tower in Paris and the London Eye, were illuminated in yellow and blue in solidarity with Ukraine. Rallies were held in cities as distant as Seoul, South Korea and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Especially notable was a huge gathering in Georgia, which had also been invaded by Russia in 2008. And word of the week. Zaporozhkaya Sish, the Cossack military democracy that between the 16th and 18th centuries remained independent across much of what is now Ukraine. And now here's today's agenda. Ukraine's humanitarian crisis. As Russian troops continue to pour into Ukraine, a country of 44 million, its neighbours are bracing themselves for a wave of refugees. The UN reckons that 100,000 Ukrainians have fled their homes. The highway running from Kyiv, the capital, to Lviv, a city in the west of the country, has been gridlocked with evacuees. Tens of thousands may have already crossed international borders. The situation on the ground is evolving rapidly and it is too early to know how many people will be affected. But the war could trigger a major humanitarian crisis. By one estimate, as many as 5 million people could be displaced. Countries have already offered their support. Poland, home to millions of Ukrainians already, has established reception points for refugees and promised to take up to 1 million. Romania said it could accommodate half this number. Ukraine has long been a destination for people fleeing places such as Belarus, Central Asia and Russia itself. Sadly, no longer. Football examines its ties to Russia. Far from the battlefield, Russia's assault on Ukraine has raised awkward questions for European football. Gazprom, Russia's state-owned energy giant, is one of eight global sponsors of the Champions League competition, for which it is believed to pay around €40 million, $45 million a season. The boss of Gazprom's oil subsidiary sits on the executive committee of UEFA, the sports governing body in Europe. On Friday, UEFA said the Champions League final, which was due to be played in St Petersburg in May, will be moved to Paris. The football associations of the Czech Republic, Poland and Sweden demanded that any World Cup qualifiers scheduled in Moscow next month be relocated. Meanwhile, a German club long linked with Gazprom, Schalke 04, will scrub the firm's logo from its shirts. The conflict has highlighted the potential hazards of striking sponsorship deals with state-owned companies as opposed to private ones. Cutting ties with Gazprom would be expensive for UEFA, but certainly desirable. arrives on the small screen. As two of the creators of Billions, Brian Koppelman and David Levian are used to dramatising corporate misdeeds. Over six seasons, the screenwriters envisaged a battle of wills between a hedge fund manager willing to test the law in pursuit of power and a dogged prosecutor. Their next television series, Super Pumped, which starts on Showtime on Sunday, explores similar themes. 
This time the material is drawn from real life, adapted from a book about Uber by Mike Isaac of the New York Times. The show's protagonist is Travis Kalanick, the company's bullish former boss, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He co-founded the ride-hailing app in 2009 and oversaw its explosive growth, but stepped down in 2017 amid a string of scandals. Silicon Valley has provided Messrs. Koppelman and Levian with plenty of material. Showtime has already announced a second season of Super Pumped focusing on Facebook. A genealogy of everyone. A family tree does not grow in isolation. Trace it back far enough and it will merge with other people's trees, joining entire clans and clades. Ultimately, all humanity is one family, with a common ancestor who lived a few hundred thousand years ago. That is well understood at Oxford University's Big Data Institute, where an attempt to map all human genetic relationships has created the world's largest family tree, described in science. The tree combines thousands of human genomes, both ancient and modern, from all around the world, and even includes a handful of Neanderthals for good measure. It reveals in unprecedented detail how individuals and populations are related, and reaffirms key events in humanity's origin, such as the migration out of Africa. The tree can be added to as genomic sequencing improves. Its bare branches will sprout shoots and foliage. One day, it could tell the whole story of humans' evolution. Weekend Profile General Valery Zaluzny, Head of Ukraine's Armed Forces Ukraine's most senior soldier can talk a good fight. Asked a few weeks ago whether his country was prepared to repel invaders, General Valery Zaluzny replied that his troops were armed with a full inventory of modern weapons, quote, to meet enemies not with flowers, but with stingers, javelins and NLAW, an anti-tank weapon. Welcome to hell. The coming days will reveal whether he can fight a good fight as well. The man bearing the brunt of the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been in post only since July. He got the top job after a shake-up of the armed forces high command by President Vladimir Zelensky. Nonetheless, General Zaluzny, a burly father of two with a frequent smile beneath his regulation buzz cut, has decades of experience. Born in July 1973 in the Zytomyr region of northern Ukraine, he joined up in 1997 and ten years later graduated from the National Defence Academy. In 2004, he took part in the defence of Ukraine when Russian-backed separatists carved out their enclaves in the Donbass. The Ukrainian army was badly mauled. But officers claim that fighting then steeled their forces for the attacks they face now. When Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, its forces were fully integrated with the Soviet army and its officers were trained by the Russians. After independence in 1991, all that changed. General Zaluzny is among the first generation of soldiers to work their way up to the ranks of an army that was shedding its, quote, Russification, in favour of a more independent and later Western-facing stance. He has been intimately connected with Ukraine's campaign to join NATO 
and was tasked with modernising the army to make it interoperable with NATO forces, although its command structures remain very Soviet. He has been training his forces to use the latest Western weaponry, from drones to anti-tank missiles. Exercises with British and American forces have become frequent. General Zaluzny spoke to his American counterpart, General Mark Milley, only last Monday to discuss the military situation. As the Russian tanks rolled into his country, General Zaluzny promised to, quote, inflict the maximum losses on the aggressor. His army faces its ultimate test. This week's quiz winners. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia Ayub Kamaludin Koala Bailate Brunei North America Trevor Kowalski Engelfeld, Canada Central and South America Sylvia Lefroyd, San Salvador, El Salvador Europe Hannah Medici, Zug, Switzerland Africa Josh Fiegen, Johannesburg, South Africa. Oceana. Ewan Mackenzie Bowie, Auckland, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Wendy's, Miranda, Jessica Mitford, Olivia de Havilland and Vanessa Williams. All these first names were invented by authors, Wendy by J.M. Barry, Miranda, Jessica and Olivia by Shakespeare, and Vanessa by Jonathan Swift. Check back on Monday for the beginning of next week's edition and your chance to win. Finally, here's the quote of the day. From Victor Hugo, who was born on this day in 1802. Even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.